afternoon, good evening. I'm adjusting to the time zone of my guests. And we're here with Bella, CEO, Razal Mesani, who I consider you know, to be such a powerhouse CEO in South Africa, in Africa, globally. I've learned so much from him. So, Fazal, thank you so much for taking time out. I know you're across the world, and I'm really, really looking forward to our conversation today. And congrats on you know everything you and the company has achieved the last couple of years. Thank you so much for having me. It's my great privilege and honor to have the chat with you. So thanks for inviting me on the show. So, Fazal, we're going to kick off straight off the bat. And it's something that you know many people, when they hear your name, they re- it just resonates with them instantly about culture and doing good and being positive and making an impact. And I suppose the million rand or billion dollar, and I haven't checked your fundraising cap table, but probably the billion dollar question soon. I mean, how do you maintain this healthy, positive culture at Bella? Great question. Um, so I think first of all, uh, it's important to acknowledge that we can always do better, right? And we're always striving to mu- to do much better, to create a better culture. And I think that mindset of not ever sitting on your laurels, but always trying to improve and knowing that there's always capacity to improve and we'll never get to perfection. I think that's step one. So A, to acknowledge the fact that we're imperfect. We're, we've got an imperfect culture. We're imper- imperfect human beings but that our aspiration is perfection. So I think one of the biggest enemies of progress is ego and kind of being conceited and thinking that you've done amazingly and that you've done well, uh, you know? And so I think, you know, we obviously do need to celebrate our accomplishments, um, but it's, I think, most important to remain humble. All right, so I think that's the first thing that I just wanted to share. Secondly, I think, you know, a culture is really something that's made up of all the different types of interactions and relationships and this social fabric and network that exist within the organization. And I tell everybody that joins Valor that more and more my influence on the culture becomes less and less because there are many more people and kind of my influence gets diluted as we grow as an organization. And so I share with them kind of some of the values that we stand for, truthfulness and collaboration and also the taming of the ego and, and trustworthiness and, and a whole bunch of stuff. We, we even talk about things like no backbiting at, at Valor. That means you do not speak badly about someone behind their back um, because it just brings everybody down, right? And it's a... It's a habit that's quite prevalent in society. People talk, you know, backbiting. I use the word backbiting, but it can be backstabbing or skinnering. People have all sorts of different terms for it. But I always say, unless it's a matter of safety where you can't talk to someone or like there's harassment or sexual abuse, obviously then you go and talk to somebody else. But otherwise, if you have something to say, go and say it to the person themselves so that you can either, A, it takes courage and B, it helps people grow and yourself grow. So I think, that aspect of just kind of really acknowledging one's humility and the humility of the organization to to always improve. Number two, talking about values more and more uh, and continuously. And then number three is living the life that you want to see lived by others 
I think that's probably the most important thing. So if you want to have a respectful organization, ensure that you respect people. You know, if you want to have a loving organization, ensure that you love people. So we're, we're trying to always improve. Uh, I don't have the secret recipe here. But I think we're just trying to infuse a lot of love into our company and into the world and try to be of service to, to everybody at the company and to humanity at large. Ozom, it's fascinating that you adapt such an open, transparent approach filled with integrity. I mean, it's very much a centralized view towards accountability and governance in a space that's largely decentralized that you're operating, you know, where... You know, the entire space that you're in is filled with anonymity. It's filled with role players that you can't really see and touch and feel, and it's not tangible. And, you know, maybe there are a few sinister actors in the space that you're in. But, you know, how do you marry that being a remote company, a fully remote business, and still managing to have that level of interpersonal connection and touch and centralized governance, if you will? Yeah, it's a good question again. Um, so first of all, we encourage everybody that part of the job is actually to build the social fabric of the organization. So when people join, we actually encourage people just to ping them and ask them to ping others, not with any, any agenda at hand to talk about, merely just to check in on someone, see how they're doing, get to know them, etc. We, we have to create those, those opportunities in a fully remote organization because we forget that, you know, when you have an in-person organization, you're meeting physically in a meeting room, people get into the meeting room and while everybody is waiting for everybody to come and gather, there's a little chit chat that happens, right? And we're getting to know each other and we're catching up with each other. But when we have a big, you know, meeting on Google Meet or Zoom or whatever, uh, you know, platform you're using, you basically get on there and then you get into the meeting and then you switch it off and you're back alone at your computer by yourself. So A, <clears throat> we encourage people to have one-on-one -on -one, uh, discussions. And then B, we do try to create opportunities to meet in person for social events or different types of meetings where we can get together or workshops or whatever it may be. It's very difficult and it's very challenging, but that social fabric isn't created just by you know, doing business. Right? We're human beings. We need to connect, understand what's going on in someone's personal life. Are they having a bad day? Why? So being sensitive to you know, what's going in the, on in their life that affects their motivation, their attitude, their happiness, etc. And if you don't kind of take the time to understand that, then it's very difficult to create that social fabric that we're aspiring towards. I think you, know, you touched on social fabric and your ability to remotely cultivate these incubators of excellence and these hubs of innovation. Whenever I log on to social media and I clock through and I see what's happening at Bala, there's something new. It's mind-blowing, right? It's like cutting edge. Um, you know, there's always something that's breakthrough and revolutionary and we're in the space now with this AI explosion and, you know, we're also keen to get your views on that. But, you know, what are some of the really cool stuff in the Bala pipeline that we can look forward to and you know, some of the stuff you can share with us. Sure. The, the real juicy stuff. Sure, I'll give you a little sneak peek of some of the announcements that we're going to make. Um, I think just to recap, so we obviously, a, we have been a spot exchange where you can buy and sell the underlying cryptocurrency. 
We then introduced margin trading where you can actually get access to some leverage to buy the spot markets or, or sell short if you need to. And then uh, we've also just recently launched Perpetual Futures. So uh, a product that allows people to have right now 5x leverage. We're going to be introducing 10x leverage uh, relatively soon to provide some more capital efficiency for customers. And that can, you know, leads into their hedging strategies, trading strategies, a number of things. So just for some capital efficiency. But I think Koshik, until relatively recently, we've been known as a South African exchange. Uh, and, and, you know, we're the largest tra- exchange by trading volume in South Africa and in Africa. But our aspirations are much higher than that now. We really want to compete on the world stage with the likes of Binance, Bybit, Coinbase, etc. And in our industry and in our business line, which is a crypto industry, which is a crypto exchange, you really need to have liquidity. Liquidity begets liquidity. We've got a fantastic product. Our API is being acclaimed by many of our customers as, as the best in the world, or at least on par with the best in the world, if not better. But we are now going to go international, and we're going to be announcing, I think, what is to be the largest crypto reward pool program that's ever existed. And what that means is, well, as you know, to attract people to our platform and to basically provide them a really great service, we're going to be giving, uh, we're going to be taking in a lot of the revenue from the trading fees, but we're going to be giving them back to our our uh, our, our users and our, our high volume traders. So we've already talked to some of the largest market makers in the world, the largest traders in the world that are very excited about this. But we're talking about rewards in millions of dollars per month. Uh, that are going to be distributed to uh, the high traders, the, the high volume traders. But we're not going to just leave it for the high volume traders. We're actually also going to in- be including competitions for the retail traders um, so that there's something in there for everybody. Really, the idea is just to provide an opportunity for people to come to Valor, get rewarded for doing so, build an ecosystem here that competes with the best platforms in the world. Uh, we believe that Many of the other platforms, again, I don't know what's going on behind closed doors, but there are some questionable behaviors, and I still think there are some rotten apples out there. And so we really want to have a centralized exchange that's built on integrity, that serves people well, and we want to serve a global audience. So that's going to be our aspiration. So stay tuned for some of those announcements that will come relatively soon about the the exact size of the reward pool, but I, I believe it's the largest that's ever existed of a centralized exchange in the world. Well. Listen, congratulations. I think that that's going to be an absolutely welcomed addition into this ecosystem. I can't wait to see what it looks like. I think, you know, based on what we've seen in the past with gamification and platforms introducing incentives and rewards, again, you know, as you pointed out, Barzam, incentives drive behavior and, you know, perverse incentives drive bad actors to act ill an interest that goes against, you know, a democratized view of the exchange. And I really love that you're going to focus not on the whales only, but the people that are new to crypto and the people that are adopting it for the first time. And I think at least based on my understanding, that seems to be very unique in what you're aiming to do, you know, and not have it centralize and create this inequality within your ecosystem where you know the biggest wealthiest 
fascist wallets seem to just eat up all the rewards and you know leave the small fish scrambling around for 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 the tidbits. Um, and and it kind of leads me to my next question then, Fazal, because there are a lot of people that are kind of tentative and reluctant to get involved in crypto and you know maybe they got hurt in the crypto winter and coming back now unsure where to get on and when to get off and you know how can they start the person that's un we won't say the word unbanked but uncrypto you know the person that's you know hasn't hasn't had any experience how do we get them into crypto yeah, the first thing I think takes a little bit of curiosity, right? So I think one needs to try to see, you know, and encourage people to try to try out something new. Um, you know, this is something that has been around now for 15 years, and it's gone from a place that nobody was using it to uh, an asset class that now, you know, the largest asset managers in the world, as we know, are now offering it through ETFs to, uh, you know, regular brokerage accounts across uh, the United States and, and many different parts of the world as well. So I always like to start by saying we're still early uh, and I don't recommend crypto for everybody uh, at this stage, which may sound strange coming from a crypto exchange CEO, but I think we need to be truthful and fair always. And what that means is that if you're living hand to mouth and you're saving uh, you know, for your meal the next day or for school fees the next month or rent, et cetera, um, vol- crypto is very volatile. So I would say, you know, make sure that you're attending to the needs of your family first, right? That's, that's the first thing. If you have any discretionary income that you can put into uh, an asset class, I would say, and my advice, again, I'm not a, a licensed to give financial advice, but what I just give, uh, what, what I say to people that ask me is I would say, start off with an amount that won't hurt you if you lose all of it, but that is, that is at the same time enough that will make you pay attention, right? And that amount is very specific to everybody's financial situation. It could be, you know, 50 rand, 100 rand, 100,000 rand, a million rand, or, you know, dollars, whatever it is, and whatever currency you're, you're dealing in. And so I would say start there, but you need to have a little bit of curiosity. And the reason I say put in enough in that it will make you pay attention is that if you put in a small amount, whether it goes 10x or not, won't affect you at all, you're not going to wonder what's going on behind the price. Why did it go up? Why did it go down? What's the news? Uh, so looking at the price and understanding the technology and researching it uh, is really critical to understanding things and also just playing around with it. Like feel what it feels like to send value across borders in an instant uh, at a fraction of the price of the financial system, right? Or use Valor Pay and, and send, you know, some rands or some crypto to any cell phone or email address in the world and see it rock up instantaneously. You know, it's, it's, it's actually something quite special, but you need to have that curious, curiosity to try it out. Speaking of Valor Pay, Fazam, what's the adoption been like on Valor Pay? Are you seeing a lot more people use it to clear transactions? There's still a little bit of reluctance to use it. What's the adoption like? Yeah, there's been a lot of progress with the announcement of pick and pay and the ability to use your Valor Pay to buy groceries, uh, for example, the pick and pay with uh, you know over 1,500 stores across South Africa. Um, one of my 
aspirations or wishes that it was a bit more uh, adopted is something that we need to solve, which is a, a strange one. And again, it goes to kind of looking yourself in the mirror and seeing where you can improve. I've sent some, you know, Valor Pay tips to like a, a car guard or, you know, a waiter. And then with Valor Pay, if it doesn't get claimed within three days, if they're not on Valor, then it reverts back to you. And one of the reasons when I asked some people, why didn't you claim the funds? Is they said, well, I don't have an email address and you need an email address to sign up at Valor, right? And so it kind of talks about where we're still, there's a large segment of society that we assume that most people have emails, but actually there's a large segment of society that just not, or requiring an email address to sign up actually is an obstacle to getting onto the platform. So I think, you know, ValorPay is free for all. Like the whole reason we built it is to allow payment mechanisms across South Africa and even beyond uh, for free for people. And so I still have high aspirations for it. It's, it's gaining momentum, but it's not where we want it to be yet. That's really fascinating that a potential roadblock and a limitation to crypto adoption is a traditional email account. Right? You would have, I, you know, I was surprised to hear that. You would expect it to be, I don't know how crypto works. Or I don't have a wallet. Or, you know, I don't believe in the philosophies, but it comes down to... Yeah. A simple email address. That's uh, it's just incredible. And, it, and it's difficult because we have different. You know, we take security extremely seriously. So we have the cell phone and the email, and also you know two FA or second factor authentication apps, etc., to ensure that there's a lot of security on the platform. So it, it's it's kind of comes down to you know email is used to authenticate and to verify so that you know if a, if there's a SIM swap or something like that that people can't just uh, attack your account. So it just calls into the question of, you know, how do you actually provide a platform that's accessible to all, especially people that uh, may not have email addresses, but still maintain security. So we haven't cracked that nut yet, but it's something on our mind as well. For some, it's a conversation you you and I have had over the years, and it's evolved as the market has become more and more sophisticated, and it's probably a lot more pronounced now to have the conversation around responsible use of leverage, you know, introducing elements of gamification adjacent to leverage, 5X, 10X, and, you know, however the multiple pans out. I know that you're massive on education and helping people understand the relative risks on this and the margin, etc. And I also incredibly respectfully, but do you feel the local market is ready for this level of sophistication given the disconnect between the basics of crypto and even understanding level one and level zero at grassroots to introduce this level of financial engineering into what is still an immature market, emerging markets at least? It's a great question again. I think it's important to acknowledge that we have a very diverse set of customers, right? We have the retail customer that's new, that may not know much about crypto. And we have some of the most sophisticated traders that are trading algorithmic trading, high-frequency trading via our API on our platform. And so we need to kind of cater to all of these customers. So the first thing is that um, some uh, leverage trading is actually not available to the retail customer. Uh, because there's, you know, uh, regulations against it and things of that nature. 
and that you have to be, let's say, a large customer to be able to get some type of margin, right? There are There is some level of leverage that you can get as a retail customer. But first of all, we, there's a number of steps that you need to go through. First of all, you need to actually uh, KYC to a higher level uh, on the platform. You need to uh, sign off on a whole bunch of disclaimers that we, you, you can't start trading unless you look at those disclaimers. It's not done from your main account. It's done from a sub-account to ensure that there's actually, a, you can't by mistake trade your, 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 yourself you know, into, uh, into a loss-making situation. So it's, it's ring-fenced. It's ring-fenced. Yep. Yeah, you have to go into a sub-account okay. and then do it there. You have to enable it. Whenever you enable it, there are, again, notifications that come up to ensure that you know what you're doing. So we really do our best to ensure that people are educated. And also, you know, there are platforms out there that have 100, even I've heard of 1,000x leverage, which, to be honest, is just complete gambling, right? At that stage, it's just gambling. We don't offer anywhere close to that type of leverage. And really, the purpose that we're providing leverage is that customers have been asking us to say, listen, this will help us with our capital efficiency. So can you provide this to us? So we're certainly not uh, advocating for everybody to use leverage if they don't understand it well. But at the same time, we would be re remiss on our responsibilities to provide the best trading tools for our most advanced users if we didn't provide this as well. So it's a, it's a kind of a, a balance that we need to strike. We, we believe we're doing it well. Um, we haven't had uh, complaints about it. Um, and if you, you don't have to use it. And also, to be honest with you, it's a little bit difficult to start using it because you need to know how to kind of move your funds, et cetera. But if you want to do it, it's there for you. And uh, obviously, on condition that you've, you know, you, you've got a few extra levels of, of KYC, you've got a few obstacles to overcome. So it's something that we debated a lot. I'm, I'm very comfortable with. Um, I also do believe that as human beings, we need to take responsibility for ourselves. You know, you can educate people, but at the same time, uh, I, you know, human beings are noble creatures. We're intelligent beings. And so if someone is providing you the tools and the knowledge, we also can't treat people as if they are just, they have no agency of their own. I, I think that does a disservice to people as well. I love that. And, and I think it's, it's really refreshing to hear you say that, Fazan, that you give people the tools, you give them the skills, and you allow them the autonomy to make decisions based on you know, the information they have. Because up to now, the conversation has been very polarizing. It's been treating investors, traders, retail investors with kids' gloves, putting in all these safeguards, these measures, and it's been proven to be counterproductive because people would go over above and beyond to transgress those limitations, take on disproportionate risk, and you know we get back to square one. So again, I think it's it's incredibly refreshing that the position you're taking and Thank you. you know really keen to see how it plays out just one other thing i'll say there's a lot of inconsistency in our regulations and things you know like on the one hand you can go in and buy tons of lots of tickets lotteries you can walk into a, a casino and gamble your life away you know which is literally the odds are 100 percent against not 100 percent, but they're, they're against you they're in favor of the house if it's 100 percent, probably nobody would go um but the point is that there's a lot of things in society that we tolerate that are just not good for you and then there are other things where we want to give actually access to people to have opportunities to invest in, you know, um, entities and asset classes that are oftentimes ring-fenced only for the very rich or the institutions. And we say, but why? Why is there such a dichotomy there? It should, there should be fairness. There should be justice. So 
we're trying to play our role in, in that equation. Sports betting. You know, it's easy to play place a, a bet on a sports game and then it is to, you know, get a, a, a piece of Bitcoin. But for example, you know, the one thing I want to wrap up on, and it really ties into the ethos of who you are and what you built, which is immense. Um, you know, I watched your, your keynote at adopting BTC uh, a couple of weeks back. And, you know, the one thing you touched on was the philosophy of unity, service, and trust. Yeah. And those are three words which don't often tie into the space that you play in because people that are less sophisticated or perhaps inexperienced and novice to the space are thinking the opposite. They're thinking about decentralization, a lack of service, and an absence of trust, right? And, you know, we can have a separate conversation around, you know, how the media portrays crypto and the technologies and the bad actors and, you know, the bias towards the negative views. But take us through how you actively work in your role as a CEO and as a senior leader to position what you do and how you're building these platforms and technologies in a positive space, you know, with all of these wholesome qualities that you don't often resonate with the space. Thank you. I think one needs to take a step back and look at life, to be honest. You know, our our days on this planet are numbered, right? And it goes really down to your core of your values and your belief system. So uh, I actually, uh, as you know, I'm an adherent of the Baha'i faith. It really informs a lot of my thinking, a lot of my philosophies and my actions. The world is off tilt, Koshik, right now, right? We we look at an instrument, which is wealth and money, and we fail to differentiate it uh, uh, or differentiate means from ends, right? And what I mean by that is that, uh, you know, wealth is something that can positively or negatively impact society, ourselves, our friends, our families. But in society, we have got to a stage where wealth accumulation is the goal itself. You know, we have Forbes lists, we have all these types of lists that talk about who's the richest person in the world, etc. To be honest with you, I couldn't care less. It's about what are people doing with their money? How are they impacting our world? And I think to make the goal of one's life, the accumulation of wealth, is unworthy of any human being. Okay, it's unworthy of any human being. Now, that doesn't mean that wealth is bad. Don't get me wrong. No, it's great. But it needs to be used in a way that serves humanity. So all of this to say, I'm actually, technically, let's take a step back from the crypto exchange uh, and and crypto. I'm really concerned about the trajectory of our world. Uh, I'm concerned about our politicians. I'm concerned about our corporations. I'm concerned about our religious institutions. This notion of truthfulness is starting to disappear from, uh, from everywhere that you look. And it's very difficult to find someone that is really truthful and really trustworthy. And that's not a world that I want to bring my children up in. So I can wait for solutions to come from politicians or economists or political scientists. Sure, there's a lot of academics out there. Or we can, as we know, the famous expression, we can be the change we want to see, right? So. 
I wish to leave behind a better world than the one that I came into. And the best way that I know how to do that is just to act and to work and to be of service to people, regardless if I'm a baker or a crypto exchange CEO or a postman or whatever it may be, I can do good in the world. And if we all have the same attitude, then the world starts to change. But if we start insulating ourselves and only taking care of our own self-interest and saying, you know, the solution to the world's problems will be found elsewhere, then we're going to get, it's going to get worse and worse and worse. And I think we have two choices. Either it's going to have become an orderly transition into a better world, or it's going to be a disorderly transition to a better world because it's going to get so bad that there's going to be conflict across society, which we've already started to see. And I really want to see the orderly route. I fear that we're going the disorderly route. I think there will be a lot more suffering, but I will always choose my own actions and try to teach my kids to be the change you want to see, serve people well, promote unity. We're all the children of one creator is my fundamental belief. And life is too short to just focus on, on the things that don't matter. The relationships between human beings matter. The promotion of civilization matters. And I really hope that my actions can do a little bit to promote civilization uh, during the course of my life. Well, Fazal, thank you so much. I think every, every single person listening to the podcast, this is something that will resonate with them long, long after they've listened to this episode. Um, thank you so much for coming on again. Every single time I speak to you, you just keep adding zeros to the Vela <laughs> growth. And it's just you know, it's incredible. But I, I, how? How do you do it? You have, you know, we make the joke about the money printer going brr. But I think you know, that, that the crypto printer has just been going. Um, you know, so I, I wish you absolutely everything of the success. Aside from the exchange and away from crypto and all the smart stuff that you build. But just you know, in a personal capacity, thank you for everything that you've done. Thank for you. Not just myself, but you know, everyone that you constantly influence, inspire, motivate to be better human beings. Really, really do appreciate it and you know, wishing you nothing but, you know, more success and more light. That's very kind and humbling. Thank you so much for, for giving me the platform. Always a pleasure to chat to you. Cheers. Thanks, Ozal. Bye bye.